This is the intro song for my asshole brain. <laughs> Hello and welcome to my asshole brain. I'm Amanda. And I'm Stephanie. And today we're going to talk about horror and why sometimes people with anxiety are particularly drawn to this genre and other things like true crime, which we'll also talk about a little bit, or even just getting scared in other ways, like thrill-seeking and roller coasters and all that kind of good stuff. Because in truth, there's actually a lot of people who suffer from anxiety who really, really enjoy horror. And that seems very counterintuitive because you would think people who are always kind of nervous and scared don't want to purposely be anxious right. for an hour and a half to two and a half hours at a time. Right. Why would someone who struggles with fear, which is essentially what anxiety is, why would you seek out something that makes you afraid when you have a tendency to kind of be afraid of all sorts of things on a regular basis anyway. So what does this science say about why people like horror? And in fact, in the research I showed, there are a lot of people who deal with anxiety who are still drawn to horror. In large part, it's because it's in a controlled atmosphere where you're observing someone else's fear and it's in a safe place for a limited period of time. You know it's gonna end and you know that you're not actually gonna suffer the effects of whatever you're observing. Because of that, you still get the rush of adrenaline, which can be very addictive, without having to deal with the true hysteria and panic and pain that you would if you were experiencing the, the situation. The consequences and outcomes of what's happening to the people that you're watching. There's also the arousal transfer theory, which basically posits that the negative feelings created by these movies intensify the positive feelings at the end. Even the hero triumphs and everything's kind of picking up and seems positive and uplifting. You have that going from that stress to that or is that a cat? That's, That's a cat. A cat. <laughs> that would be my cat. Now, you know, last time we left the door open <laughs> and animals came in and created chaos and havoc and noise so this time we decided to shut the door so the animals couldn't come in and now they're, they're meowing they're and angry. scratching anyway <laughs> so i'm just gonna sit and watch let us <laughs> so yeah the, the, as far as one thing that we found when we were doing the research on this was something the adrenaline thing didn't come as much a surprise i think that everyone is understanding of the fact that adrenaline is something that human beings can crave that's why you have people who are called adrenaline junkies or right. thrill seekers, they like to go do things that put them in danger because they get excited by it and they actually get a kind of high from right. it, similar to what you would from a drug, by doing things that put you in danger and then coming out of it the other end okay. It's the same kind of thing with horror movies. You can still get the high from watching these people in dangerous situations without having to feel the intense panic that they're feeling, which is not quite so pleasant, right. or the pain of the situation that they're in. And then, as Stephanie said, the arousal transfer theory also implies that once they have the happy ending, we also get the relief. Right. And it's kind of cathartic to have those emotions rushing and freaking out and on board with what's going on with them and then every maybe not perfect but turns out in the end and that's just that release and right they get away and in most movies granted there are certain horror movies right. uh john carpenter especially really loves having the endings where you think it's going to be okay and then actually you find out that everything is more fucked than it was before right like the thing where it gets away and so you know that this terrible creature is, you know, possibly going to go on continue live or that they're going to freeze at the end. I might be misremembering the end of it. It's not a happy ending. Most of his yeah, movies, yeah. they the, don't have happy the fog endings. fog and yeah, all those ones where it's kind of like, well, 
so yeah and and so those might be less satisfying they and and they can still be very good and you can appreciate them from a story standpoint but you may not get the same payoff at the end of the relief of the character being okay and so for me i i I appreciate from a storytelling standpoint those types of movies that it doesn't have a happy ending where everything's perfect and wrapped up very nicely those aren't as comforting I guess in the end as maybe not as cathartic and they're not quite as satisfying in the sense that you don't get the sense of relief that you do from other types of of films where the hero does overcome and the bad guy is killed and you can feel safe and secure once again that the evil thing has been on those kinds you're watching like oh well this isn't over and they're still in danger right but we'll have a sequel and maybe they won't be in danger then But to be honest, one of my favorite horror films is Cabin in the Woods, and it has an ending, not to spoil it for anybody. Everything is not wrapped up in a tiny little bow. Like, you don't get that sense at the end, like, everything's okay now. Disaster has been averted, which is what happens in a lot of these. Like, the again, the bad guy is killed, or the hero is safe. They're safe, they've escaped, the final girl, or whatever that, whatever the formula of that movie is. And, And actually, I think that Wes Craven is another person who often plays with the stories that don't end happily ever after, which is what makes them incredibly disturbing. Right. But if you're watching horror movies for the whole arousal transfer so that you can get that relief at the end, you're You're cheated of that. that. Yeah, you're not getting that from those. I think one of the things I like about horror movies especially is that there are so many of them that have, like they kind of come off like comfort food, especially the ones that are kind of formulaic. They follow a very standard pattern. And those are the ones often where you do have that that satisfying ending where everything's resolved. But and there's a predictability. Yeah, there's, it's predictable, and so it goes along with that safety of created chaos and created anxiety. But you also know this is this movie, and thus far it's followed this pattern, like it's going to end. Yeah. And sometimes, for me as a horror fan, that's one thing I actually really enjoy about movies when I think it is formulaic and I think it is going to end a certain way. And then I get a twist. So sometimes, you know, I may not get that release and that payoff of, you know, everything's fine, the hero's fine. Instead, I get a, oh, well, now everything's different. And so then I'm pleased that way, even if I didn't get that. Because it's not what you expected, so you get the element of, oh, so they've done something. It wasn't entirely predictable. So from a storytelling standpoint, you can appreciate the fact that you couldn't entirely predict what was going to happen. But I don't know that you get the same satisfaction of seeing everything be okay at the end. So what was the first horror movie that you remember seeing or when did you start getting interested in horror first movie i saw in the theaters was child's play and i was five (laughs) so who who took you to see that my mother your mother and that was because i threw a hissy fit and wanted to see the doll movie okay now did she think that was going to teach you like you're going to see it and then you're going to be like oh that was i'm not quite sure she thought that but she has said and i mean even recently she was surprised because she said you did i did not hide behind like i didn't cover my eyes or anything i watched the whole thing now granted i had nightmares until i was like 10 wow and i think i had watched friday the 13th or Mm -hmm. nightmare on elm street before that maybe even so i was definitely a child when i started watching horror and it's just it they've always been my favorite movies do you read horror too like are you big steve King fan. I don't read a whole lot of horror actually like I don't mind it when I read it but it's just I don't know I'm not sure if it's because I like the visuals more and I like those mm. visuals to be presented to me instead of concocting them in my head like mm-hmm. you kind of have to with 
you know, when you're reading a book. Yeah. And they've always been very comforting to me. Mm -hmm. I remember being kind of dazzled by scary stories. There was one book when I was a kid, like in elementary school, that had stories. It might have even been about like Baba Yaga, which is like a witch from Eastern Europe that travels around like in a mortar and pestle. And she, it's kind of this real, it's like. I remember this, I've, I've heard of the story and I know I've read it, but it's not. And and I remember storyline. I remember being so it was a, a collection of short stories, and that was just happened to be one of them in there. And they were like scary stories for kids. Yeah. And so they were kind of sanitized. And I remember being sort of fascinated by it, but afraid of it at the same time. And it gave me a thrill. And ever since, you know, I kind of it, that stuck with me. I think the first horror film I actually remember seeing was American Werewolf in London, which is more humorous now as an adult watching it than it is horror. Yeah, I'm gonna say as a kid that one is definitely you can't you don't necessarily appreciate the humor and right so yeah the visuals are just terrifying well yeah because his friend after he gets mauled to death he keeps coming back like and he's decaying more and more yeah. I think Griffin Don was the actor who did it and so. it's as an adult I watch it and it's very funny because he's very witty and but he's like falling apart and he's trying to convince his friend like you need to kill yourself so that you don't do you know you don't harm other people and, and condemn them to what I'm having to live through right, right. now and as a kid, that was terrifying to me because The Walking Dead, like any kind of zombie, has act has held a long-standing horror for me. So when the zombie craze started, I was very into it because there's a lot of monsters that don't scare me. I don't really get scared by slasher films. I'm not scared by vampires. I'm not scared by werewolves. I'm not scared by aliens. These things, I can watch movies and I can be thrilled by them, but I'm not actually deeply afraid. Right. There has always been something about zombies that freak me the fuck out. And I've always so, been that way too, and I, I've always equated that too. Honestly, is you see so many zombie things in the context of kind of apocalyptic, and so yes, it seems so yeah. much more realistic than like a werewolf or a vampire. Yeah, yeah, and Whereas, I think like you know I'm like oh like you know something could happen and everybody could start eating each other. Like that seems plausible, but okay. not when I said it that way. <laughs> but at, but but at the very least, it does. Those movies always come with the collapse of society, which is something that, if you think about it, if we had a big enough epidemic, that could still very much happen. It's happened before. It could happen again. And so even if you don't believe that human beings could die and then come back as the undead and eat each other, the idea of a total societal collapse because of a disease is something that could really happen. And if nothing else, it's like if, you know, that would happen and resources dwindle and food dwindles and like... Cannibalism is a thing that has existed for a reason, and so yeah. Yeah, well, what, who was? Okay, so Stalin, there was a point, I, I remember in history I learned about it. It was, it was one of those things I never learned in school, but I found out years later that, because um, we don't learn a lot of Russian history in schools, but I remember them talking about there was a point at which there was a city that had been surrounded by troops, and so they stopped all the food coming into the city, and it was like for over a year, and it got to the point where they really did start eating each other, I've because people were that, and that is terrifying, it's, which is probably why they don't teach it in history. <laughs> probably, but it's seriously <laughs> fucked up, and I remember reading that. So they would have like roving gangs and at night people had to stop going outside because they would actually catch people and eat them and it was terrifying to me because that is that I think is what gets me is, is the it's kind of allegorical like when you look at vampires and, and werewolves there's something that seems so fantastical about it and I don't mean to imply that people rising from the dead and eating others is not fantastical but everything that goes along with it right is could really happen there's, yeah there's just you mentioned 
The Walking Dead mm-hmm. doesn't seem completely inconceivable that yeah. the entire world could just kind of use everything, use resources, use yeah. contact with other people. and Yeah, and that really freaks me out. And so I think that's why those types of stories scare me. And there's even a movie called Contagion, which isn't a horror film, but... It, it, it definitely has that element to yeah, it. Yeah, so it feels almost like a zombie movie except for the fact that once the people die they're dead for good but everything else that kind of goes around like you have this disease and it spreads like wildfire right. and no one can society, necessarily explain it right and, yeah. and society kind of collapses and people don't know what to do and people are desperate and they do awful things to each other and that I think is the element of the zombie story that resonates with me because there's a reality there that you don't see in other types of horror stories. There aren't too many horror movies that I dislike as a general rule. I watch plenty of the Friday the 13th and the Nightmare on the Elm Streets and some of the ones that have sort of, especially as they make sequels and they go on and they get sort of more ridiculous, I find them entertaining but I don't necessarily find them scary. The ones that have that sort of that zombie aspect or that end of the world aspect, those almost always scare me even when it's one that I've watched a million, you know, it's the same general story and I've seen it in dozens of different movies. It's still, it's still frightening to me. Well there's, okay so World War Z which, to be quite honest, when I heard what the story was about, I read the book, loved the book. And when I found out that they were doing a very different kind of story for the movie, I was very frustrated because I felt like the the movie version of the book could have been made. I yeah. don't feel like they needed to change the story like they did. Having said that, I put that bias aside and watched the movie and thoroughly enjoyed it. I was say, I love that movie. It scares the crap out of me every exactly. time I watch it. And I've not actually read the book. I... I highly recommend it. Well, what's interesting about the book is it's a series of interviews to people who've survived. Exactly. And um, it has a bunch of different characters. So you don't have, like, the one character, like Brad Pitt, who comes in to save the day. So you don't have the single hero who goes through all these stages. It's different people, and it's very interesting in hearing about how they're all affected by some are doctors, some are civilians, some are military. But, again, I really enjoyed that movie. Granted, a lot of people took issue with the running zombies, which is a completely other debate that we don't even but again it tapped into that idea of societal collapse and what happens when people get panicked and and not being able to reach everyone that you needed to all of that's terrifying in this day and age i'm at the point now where i'm starting to watch different movies where these things happen and i'm starting to like compile a list in my head of different things that we should have in order (laughs) to survive it's super easy to like turn into kind of a doomsday because you're just like well, maybe I could have six months worth of water in the basement. Yeah, or maybe we should have again. lots of cans of carrots and, and a and can opener in like a corner. A crank radio or 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 shortwave radio so right. that you can communicate with other people when cell towers go down. And yeah, there's something, and especially I have to say, it got harder for me when I became a parent because I'm not only concerned with like protecting myself and my own survival. Now I got kids I got to worry about. See, I'm lucky. I only have to take care of myself. There you go. (laughs) But it makes it it worse because you're like, okay, so not only do I have to fear for myself, I have to fear for these other human beings that I'm responsible for. You have to figure out which of your kids is the weakest and which one to leave behind. Which one can I eat? Which one? (laughs) (laughs) Which one can I sell? Which one? Don't let the kids hear I'm kidding, children. I love you. Well, I'm just a technician, but I'm going to ask the sound guy here. 
If you're talking about uh, horror movies and the attraction and the stimulus it gives the brain, horror as a genre, though, there's got to be a big difference, or I'm asking, between books and movies. In books, the way I see it, as you read the book, they're describing a scene to you, but in your own head, you still get to fill in the details. You're creating the backdrop to the uh, critical part of the story, where when you go to watch a movie, your brain isn't actually doing that because they've filled the background with every, where it is, what the building really looks like. I mean, they some books go into great detail, but some just talk about the situation between main characters or what's creating, generating the stress. But they leave the background to be imagined in the environment. And so, I don't know, would you think it makes more or less impact to our psychology and like how you, how you get that adrenaline rush? For me, movies, I think my brain goes a little bit more on autopilot than I do necessarily when I'm reading. Having all of that extra stuff filled in for me makes it scarier in some ways because I'm not the one that came up with it and imagined it. Because that is one thing if I read in the story, I put faces to the characters mm-hmm. and things like that. And I think that they kind of, reference but don't go into full detail on I build that stuff up so I'm still sort of in control of the story that I've created in my mind whereas with the movie I that is being completely created by someone else and so that is basically me stepping into that person's brain which is that's not my idea that makes that more scary so you're because just I didn't for the ride. Up. yeah exactly well I I read horror not as much anymore but I used to read a lot of horror that was in keeping I I developed my interest in horror films around the same time I developed my interest in horror novels so I was very much into Stephen King when I was I would say from middle school on reading it when I was in seventh grade and I was reading The Stand and loved them and continued reading Stephen King and other stuff and I have continued through years although I have to say now my tastes have gone less from like traditional horror although I still love some of those there's still some Stephen King books that I love and his son Joe Hill has written some really good books too so I still read them but now if I'm drawn to books that are kind of scary they're they're usually more like in the crime area so they're more like psychological horror so you you're dealing with stuff that's much more realistic so it doesn't have monsters and demons and it's more the serial killers or things that are slightly more realistic i would say and i've and i think we've talked about before that we you know at one point were both psychology majors fifth grade through probably most of high school i read every true crime book i could get my hands on so i read about everything I did reports on serial killers, all kinds of stuff, and I love that both from the aspect that it was definitely horror, but it was also real, and so then you had that aspect of the psychology, what makes this person tick, why would somebody do this? These things that I like to see in movies that I enjoy because obviously they're not real, there's an element of fascination, and I hate to say the word entertainment, but I mean entertainment to reading the true crime stories and reading these real-life horror stories. I haven't read a lot of true crime. I tend to stick with fiction because then I can still be removed from it and say, well, these are fictional characters. So when terrible things happen in the stories, they're still happening to fictional characters. However, I'm fully aware of the fact that, and this is something that crops up into my head when I read these stories, like if this has happened, if someone thought to write of it, someone probably thought to do it, which is still difficult for me. And it definitely, you know, the true crime, just kind of go in depth on serial killers or just regular Joe Blows that snap and, you know, kill their whole family kind of things, like the various different ones I've read there. Occasionally you read them and you forget halfway through reading them, like, oh, like you kind of have to pull yourself back and be like, I'm not reading fiction right. or watching a movie like these things actually happen, yeah. which then, you know, kind of makes it more unsettling again, but it's still, especially from that psychology aspect, but it's just fascinating. I've been reading the book by Michelle McNamara on the Golden State Killer, and I've been having to take breaks from it. 
so I dove in and I was really fascinated because I started reading around the time that they found someone who they think it is right and they found a suspect it's been very interesting but it's also very difficult to read about real things that happen to real people but what's very interesting is I struggle with reading it but I listen to true crime podcast all the time you know I've mentioned before that one of them is my favorite murder and they talk a lot on there about anxiety and the fascination with true crime and why people who tend to be anxious are interested in that kind of thing and again with horror you know with fiction it's a different story because you know it's not really happening to you but when you're dealing with true true crime it's a different story because it is real and you know it did really happen to someone so even if it still isn't happening to you you know it happened to someone so the question is how can people take comfort from listening to terrible things that happen to people when they're when they struggle with that kind of anxiety as it is what i found in my research is that part of it is uh, a sense of preparation like if you if you see what other what has happened to other people it gives you a sense like okay so i know not to do this or i not know not to do this so if i can don't run up this thing if you're being chased by a serial killer don't run up the right so you know. yeah, yeah yeah and and a lot of and one of the things i have to i really have to credit my favorite murderer in the podcast for is that they really uh, try to impress upon their listeners who they know are predominantly female which is another aspect of this that's very interesting is it's largely women who are into true crime and why that's the case is something that cropped up continuously when I was reading this. Statistics surprised me because I've always thought that women were were more so victims in our culture than, than men. We tend to be victimized more and that may be true depending on which type of crime or violence you're looking at like domestic violence for instance women are victims of domestic violence more but if you just look at violent crime overall men are actually victims of violent crime more than women but women worry about it more. Right. We've been led to believe that we are the victims more. Is that because media well, in the culture, shows it more? In the cultural aspect of men are stronger, they're not supposed to be worried about or even show worry about the things that could hurt you. Where in our society, for the large part, women are raised to be more polite and more genteel, not to offend. And, but they well, the whole, they, you know, they will suffer. They, they suffer from more abuse. And if I learn more about it, I can avoid it. I can recognize signs. Right, no one's half the battle. If, if you study it and you see what other people did wrong, you can figure out what to do right. What's disturbing is there are a lot of situations where people haven't done anything wrong. So in those situations, like, what can you learn from it? Well, I don't well, know. Well, there's, you know, there's also, and you see it in horror movies time and time again, the girl at the beginning doesn't want to go to the party that everyone wants to go to. Right. Or, no, I don't think we should drive to this place, or I don't think we should walk to right. this place. And so you see there's someone, and it's almost always a woman, that is basically everybody saying, oh, you're being silly. Yes. Oh, you're overreacting. Yeah. And that a lot of horror movies basically would not happen if that main person had not ignored their intuition. Yeah. And women are taught so much to follow your gut and follow your intuition that something feels wrong, it may be, or it probably is, and don't discount that. And so I think it's very interesting that you see so much of that built into horror movies where it's kind of almost a a cautionary like this person did this thing that you that you're told not to do and yeah. look what happened don't discount that and again is that because we're we're just so of the mindset that we are in more danger that we feel that way that we have that thinking and that's why it works so well in a horror movie because it's it's something that we all do 
Well, I do feel like in our culture that we're raised to understand, like to, let's face it, like we're raised to think, okay, so this is how you don't get raped. This is how you, you know, don't get abducted. This is how you don't have right. these crimes which happen is, to yeah, you. Which is where that preparation thing is in. All right. these things like you do this, if you don't do that. If I can prevent it, then obviously I want to. And so you just, you get. Well, you, you want to feel prepared and study and listen to these things that happen to other people. It can, it can make you feel like, oh, so I really know all these different terrible scenarios. Therefore, I understand how this happens and it won't happen to me because I won't do these things that these other people did. But the problem is that sometimes it surprises you and that there's always something new cropping up that you yeah, won't say see coming. You're not always in control. Like you may be in control of you, but you're not necessarily in control of what another person's going to do. Exactly. And there's and simply Which of time... course puts that element of terror and fear in it. That's you right. know, the unpredictable. And there's simply times when you're going, you could be overpowered. You right. can be knocked out. Like there's, there's only so much you can do to control the situation, which people don't like to admit because we want to believe we're control. But there are points at which you can become overpowered and you cannot do anything. And right. at the same time, women are also taught to be polite and not hurt people's feelings. I can't tell you how many times when people have made me feel uncomfortable or approached me and I haven't wanted to be rude and I'll be around. And know. again, avoiding, you know, ignoring your intuition. Right. This like, person's I'm, making me I'm uncomfortable, but I also don't want, you know, what, I don't want to be rude. Yeah. Especially <laughs> what if I'm wrong? I don't want to be rude if I misconstrued what was happening or, right. you know, I don't want to hurt someone's feelings or insult them. But that's back to what I was saying about the, the, the MFN culture is what they talk about a lot is one of their sayings is f politeness. And it's this idea that like, if if someone's making you uncomfortable and you feel like you might be in danger, it is more important for you to do what you have to do to protect yourself than it is for you to preserve that person's feelings. It's more important for you to stay safe than it is for you to keep from offending someone. Right. But and we are trained to not offend. Yeah. We're well, and especially if that person had no ill will or ill feelings, in theory, if it's a misunderstanding and you explain that, if they're a they good would, person, they would understand. Right. Otherwise, you know, if they're a good person, yeah. they'll get it. And and that was something that I even had a conversation with Steve about once when we were walking down the street, and it was the two of us, and he made kind of a joking comment to a woman passing by. And she was, you know, she kind of smiled, but then hurried along her way. And I said, I don't know that you understand what it's like for a woman alone to be walking down the street to have some, a stranger say something to her. Like, you may see it as you're just being friendly and open, but the woman is always going to be wondering, like, what, what could this possibly leave? lead to right. what is that person's intention there have been many situations where women have had someone try to approach them or cat call them or whatever and then when they ignored that person or they rejected that person they ended up being harmed yeah, because person, of that yeah. so when you're walking down the street as a woman even when someone's just trying to be polite a man is trying to be polite to you if i'm by myself and there's a guy and he's approaching me i always have to assess whether or not i think he's a threat and it never fails. I, I become more alert. I watch where I'm walking. I watch if he's paying, if he's looking at me. Does he appear to be sober? Does he appear to be drunk? Is right. he watching me or is he minding his own business? Does he keep walking past me or right. does he turn around and double back right. kind of thing? Are there other people around or am I alone on this street? And it doesn't happen very often, but in any of those situations, it immediately go on alert because I have to wonder whether or not that person is right. right. Yeah. And, yeah. and and that threat assessment is a constant. Again, it would seem counterintuitive to be interested in true crime, but I feel like it adds to my arsenal, like it helps and, me yeah, and assess the situation yeah, and better. Said, it's an aspect of control. It's putting some of that power back in your hands. Right. Whether or not it's realistic, whether or not 
you actually do have any more control or it's, any it could be power. an illusion <laughs> yeah it, it feels that way you yeah. feel like you have that power yeah. back at the very least i feel like i know not to look so much like a victim right. i know that there are certain things that you can do that can draw attention to you because you can look like if you're distracted or if yeah. it, you know digging through your purse for your keys right. or playing on your phone yeah those right things where it's it's that much easier for someone to kind of swoop in on you right and and again it, it has nothing to do with victim blaming or saying that the people who had those terrible things happen to them deserved it or they weren't smart enough or aware enough it's what can we learn from these terrible situations in the hope that we can reduce the chances of those things happening to us and that's why I think it's very interesting that women are so interested in that but I think it really does come down to the fact that we have to do a lot more threat assessment we have to just be more aware and alert to make sure that we're not going to become victims. But the other thing that I was interested in when I was kind of reading about this was, I'm gonna probably butcher this, but it's, it's the German term, the Schaden Schadenfreude. Schadenfreude. Yeah, no. the, there, there's a certain pleasure taken from watching other people's tragedies. And other people, yeah, other people suffer. Thank God it's not me. Yes, and what was interesting to me about this was I understood the relief aspect of the, oh, well, thank God I'm not the victim, or the victim is not someone I love. But what was also really interesting when I did the research on this is they were talking about the relief for people who are like, thank God I'm not the one who did the crime either. Because sometimes we will all get in situations where we're frustrated or angry and we think, oh, I could just kill somebody or I could just strangle them or I could just run over them with my car and someone else does those things. You're like, well, thank God they did it, but but not me. (laughs) That person snapped and I didn't because yeah, Yeah. especially you see it in shows or movies where something very everyday frustration makes someone snap and you're like I've been there I could do that yeah. or I've joked about it and so yeah and you sometimes you watch that kind of thing like ooh yeah. Like, that could have been me. Like, yeah. <laughs> or, 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 like, so that's what would happen if I lost my cool one if day. I snapped, Good to know. Like, yeah. this it's, it's kind of a cautionary tale. Of, or that person's not getting away with it. Note to self, don't try that. <laughs> right, because this, okay, so if I were to give into this particular impulse, this is what could happen yeah. to me. So it helps me know that I need to keep my shit in check if I'm getting frustrated or, or angry. The other part of it is, and I think with horror and true crime both, is that the idea of exposure there. Therapy, that like if you see it too much you kind of become desensitized which can be good because it can sort of minimize the anxiety you have to it so I grew up on horror and so it doesn't bother me but like my stepsisters for instance didn't watch that kind of stuff and to this day there's certain types of, they just they don't like it they can't watch it they don't get it it bothers them yeah. I watched Heathers with them when we were in high school and they were freaking out at the end where he planted the bombs <laughs> You know, this it's a dark humor, but yeah. it's, I don't consider it particularly frightening. But at right. the end where the, the bombs are planted in the gym and we don't know if they're going to go off or not, yeah. if she's going to be able to stop it. I remember my stepsister, who was much younger at the time, was well, she's still younger than me, but she was like 10 or something like that, was like, I'm so scared. I'm so scared because the tension was right. too much. So it wasn't even a frightening situation. Like there were no monsters or serial killers, but just the tension, the tension was, yeah. was too much for her. So if, like for them, they don't find any pleasure yeah. or release. In and it. I mean, and even in that kind of example, like I can understand that because that is so much more realistic. And yeah. unfortunately in this day and time, it's even more so. But I mean, right. you know, that idea of that kind of thing is a much more realistic where it's like a semi superhuman dude who drowned in a lake and then stalks sexy teenagers. Right. I mean, I'm sure that has happened. Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. But that seems significantly less realistic. Somebody blowing up a school, which, I mean, yeah. in light of everything that's happened, what's funny is that the thing that she was afraid of is much more realistic. Someone going in and killing a bunch of kids at school is much more realistic yeah. than the shit I watch. 
So now looking back at it, I'm like, uh, well, it makes sense she was afraid of that. Like there, like she understood what you should truly be afraid yeah. of. But what's funny, as much as I love horror, there's certain types of things that I know that you and I, we watched the remake of Evil Dead uh, and it stressed us the fuck out. Like right. I think my heart rate was elevated the entire We both left time. that theater like just absolutely. I've never watched that movie again since we saw no. it. And I've wanted to, but then I'm like, I don't know I don't if I can watch I it by myself. Bo, didn't Bo go with us? Oh. And he, so my stepson went with us and he sat somewhere else. Yeah. And then he moved so he could sit yeah, next no, to us because he was freaked out. Well, he, yeah, he ran down the steps at the end of the movie and like dived in next to us kind of like, <gasps> yes, because... We were like, it was disturbing. And I think in part it was because it had, and you know I've discussed this, that one type of horror we don't like is the, the torture form. Right. There's something about it, like, I don't get the adrenaline high from that. It's and just I too found, brutal. I really thought that movie had that element to it. I've yes. said that to other people I know that are horror fans yeah. and that love that movie. And when I said that I thought it had a torture porn aspect to it, they looked at me like I was nuts. And said they did not at all agree. Uh, I, but now, it was like an emotional. There was something. There was an aspect of it. Maybe it was an emotional side that was constant, right. prolonged emotional and physical yeah. torture. Like and it there was, was nonstop. Yeah. Well, and I mean, and it and it's funny too because I've always considered like I don't like torture porn, but I actually super got into the Saul movies last year. But I think those are also kind of ridiculous and over the top. And that's the thing is, I always thought that they were much more torture porny. But they are. But they're silly. There's right, like a, and as I watch them, and I I absolutely adore them now. Like I I've watched all of them multiple times, and I think that's what it was. When I finally watched them, I'm like, oh, these aren't really that bad because yeah. they're ridiculous. And right. as they go on, they get progressively more ridiculous. And I think that takes away the reality. Right, and so it. like after I watched that, but yeah, there are certain ones. It's just like I don't. And a lot of it to me is the aspect of I don't find just pure gore or pure grossness scary. Uh, to be honest, I actually find it kind of fun. Which I guess makes me a little disturbed. Like when it's really over the top, it's almost like I'm the one in the theater when something really gross happens that I start laughing. Right. Like Ash versus the Evil Dead, I found it was gross, but it was hilarious to me yeah. because it was so ridiculous. Right. One thing that I've noticed as far as torture porn goes, like the stuff that's ridiculous doesn't bother me as we talked about with Saw, but the thing that the scenes that are problematic for me are the ones like um, Reservoir Dog. Have you ever seen that? Yes. Okay, so the scene where they're torturing the cop? Yeah. It's very slow and methodical. That bothered me. Like, that was very difficult for me. So the stuff that's, like, realistic, beatings or cutting someone's feet, yeah. like, that stuff I considered. So I've never seen the Hostel movies, for instance. I've never and watched those. Yeah. That kind of stuff doesn't... I generally... Mm. There are certain things I don't want to see in any movie, but there are certain things that they love doing in horror movies. Rape. Oh, yeah. No, 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 no. That's, that's, that's one. That's a big one. If I know for a fact before I see a movie that that's in there, I just... Yeah. will not watch it. There's a um, movie with, what is it, Monica Bellucci and the, the guy who's her husband. I've never seen it, but I heard a lot of discussion about it. And apparently it has, like, a very prolonged, realistic rape scene. That's the kind of stuff, like, if it's too close yeah. to reality, then at that point it becomes too problematic yeah. because I, I can, it, it's... I can appreciate realness in cinema, but I'm thinking more, like, pie-in-the-face realistic, so much like somebody being sexually tortured. That's... That's not on the yeah. So that, that type of thing, something that's too realistic, too torturous, is I don't enjoy that. So I, I like it to have enough of an edge of fantasy to it that it doesn't seem real. So it can seem like an escape rather than something that feels like it could actually happen. Right. I don't I don't want to go to a horror movie and leave feeling like, wow, that totally could happen. And I'm absolutely petrified and afraid right. to go anywhere or do anything. Like, I like to leave and be like, oh, well, that was terrifying. But I'm okay. But or, it was fake. But yeah. Or, <laughs> right. it, or it ended cool. Like, right. everybody's fine. Right. 
That'll, and I'm even okay with stuff making me think or stuff that has commentary. Like, Get Out was great. Loved yes. it. It was great. But at the end, you still have that, there's a sense of satisfaction at yeah. the end of it. And so, frustrating when you watch it. And it and it's disturbing more so than, like, scary. Right. Although, although I have to say, I get very frustrated when I go to see a movie that's touted as being, like, a very genuinely frightening movie. I'm like, okay, come, come at me. I, I want to see. It takes a lot to actually frighten me takes very little to startle me. You can startle me so easily it's not even funny. And I always give extra credit to movies that jump scares or something of that ilk that gets me. Even if it's a movie where I'm, I can't remember what it was, there was one I saw last year or the year before, and overall I was kind of meh on it. Mm -hmm. But I actually, like, people said, like, well, how many points do you give? How many stars do you give? And I actually gave it a little bit because I was like, it had a jump scare in it that caught me and got me good. And I'm like, I always give a little bit of extra credit to those movies because generally jump scares, especially when they're really formulaic, you know they're coming. Yeah. Like you're like, oh, somebody's going to jump out. There's going to yeah. be a jump scare. And then it happens and you're like, told you, see? Like it was. And even then when I know it's coming, which I almost always do, like you just know, if you watch enough horror, you know it's coming. And I'll even like kind of close my eyes and I'll slip, like I will watch, I'll watch the screen through just very slit eyes because I know it's coming. I know it's going to scare me. Yeah. And it's going to startle me. And and then it does. And I am also the one in the theater, and I think you've experienced this with me, I start laughing. If, if if it's a jump scare and it truly startles me, I don't freak out. I, I laugh. Well, and it's... Because I'm like, oh, you motherfuckers, you right. got me. Well, and there's that, you know, that, like, that built-up nervousness because you do know. Like, yes, on those ones where you do know it's coming. And so, like, you're ready for it. And, like, you've made yourself tense about it. And then it happens and you're like, ah, oh, see? Thank God. Okay, yeah. now I don't and have then, to yeah, And then you laugh because you're just like, ah, it's yeah. over. So I'm that obnoxious woman in the movie theater who laughs every time I get, like, startled. Right. I get startled. This person got stabbed. <laughs> yeah. But and and I don't know what it is that makes me easy to startle my kids. It's not so bad anymore. But they used to hate to come in. Like at any point where I was starting to fall asleep, there's this stage of my sleep cycle where if you come in, you wake me up. Like I come awake instantly and with a gasp. <laughs> and so if I'm dead asleep, I kind of come out of it slowly. But for whatever reason, and maybe it was because it was a during a stressful time in my life. I don't know what it was. But there was a while there where the kids were like afraid to come in and ask me questions and they didn't do it very often it was usually if there was something they really needed to know but they knew I was in bed and they would come in and they were so afraid and they still talk about this about how they didn't want to come in and talk to me because they knew that even if they were very quiet and they opened the door and they were like mom that I'd be like (gasps) (laughs) and I would awake with a gasp and often sit up like bolt upright like like I'm kind of afraid to ever wake anyone up now just hearing that story (laughs) like I was rising from the dead and they hated it and I guess that worked in my favor because it it deterred yeah they'd leave you alone or I think they've also figured out ways that if they do kind of like soft sounds like leading up to it like if you if it's like a loud sound out of the out of the blue it startles the shit out of me which is why our dog scares me sometimes I was just about to compare that to dogs that fart themselves awake <laughs> well i don't i don't know that i've same, farted myself same general kind of you know like they fart and they wake themselves up scared yeah like, they're startled yeah. yeah our dog will she doesn't always a lot of dogs will kind of precipitate a loud bark or growl with low rumble beforehand she doesn't always do that so you don't get any of like the precursor so you don't know it's coming so it'll be perfectly quiet and then she'll hear something that i can't hear and then she'll be like Whoa! and it just she, it, 
Yeah. And I'm like, that scared me a couple times. Yes, and I'll be like, God damn it, Drew, and I get so mad right. because like, oh, I'm house sitting in this house that I don't necessarily know, in this neighborhood that I don't necessarily know, and now there's a loud noise from right. the dog. Why is the dog barking? Right, and I don't hear. So any. I'm startled, and, and then I'm like, Why are you barking? Right. What is she here that yeah. I don't hear? Yeah. That is problematic for me, and I've come to realize that with her, it's usually that she's heard like a door shut half a block away, and so it's usually not anything to be concerned about. But that I don't. Don't love being startled and there's actually a there are people who have very sensitive startle reflex and it can be conditioned for them especially if they have like PTSD exactly. they'll startle very easily and it can be problematic and I was talking about being startled easily to somebody and they even mentioned like oh well you have startle reflex syndrome or, or easy startle syndrome or I can't remember what it was called and I ended up looking it up and I don't have it like because what they have is obviously like a very severe version yeah I just tend to startle easily and it makes it easy for fucking jump scares which I hate like I get very angry if you jump out and scare me, there's a good chance I'm going to either scream at you, I will definitely cuss, and I might punch you. you yeah. But if you're willing to risk that, and sometimes Steve will accidentally startle me, not even meaning to, and I'll be like, you motherfucker. And he'll be like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. It <laughs> is. And the thing that stinks is, especially even if you didn't do it on purpose, sometimes when you get somebody like in a good startle and like feel kind of like, ha Oh, yes, my kids. Because it's absolutely <laughs> wonderful to, like, figure out, like, you instilled that much fear in someone, yeah. especially if you weren't doing it on purpose. Like, I scared <laughs> the shit out of them, and it wasn't even on purpose. It's a bit accident. <laughs> it was a bit of elation there. So, yeah. I guess getting scared and scaring others has yeah. a similar effects that you get a bit of a right. high from it. And I guess that's why. I would prefer to scare people <laughs> with, like, a mask on and not, like, with, you know, a butcher knife in hand. I would prefer that as well. But at the same time, you could just simply, like, be in a quiet room with me and then suddenly go, Amanda. And that would be enough to make me go, God damn it. (laughs) So I'm an easy Note to self. (laughs) If you're looking for that high, scaring another person, I'm an easy mark. I'm even more excited about Halloween this year now. I have plans. Just like slowly oh. brewing in my mind. You're gonna just follow me around various places and like jump out and scare me. This is how I'm going to die, though. I think I'm I stand on your porch first thing in the morning when you come out for work. <laughs> I'm like, God damn it, you motherfucker! <laughs> but you'll be awake the rest of the day. You won't have to drink coffee. You won't have to do anything. You'll be. <laughs> this might actually be the best thing for me. Like I'm so tired all the time. Maybe if I was just constantly yeah, like just if I hear you all the time regular startle intervals throughout my day I would be so much more awake <laughs> uh, or I, super shaky intense it could be, <laughs> it could be bad depending on how much caffeine I've had yeah. I think I have a strong heart so I think we're okay <laughs> but maybe someday that's it I don't know that we should test it though just no, to be safe no but you know if I have a prolonged illness and I just want to fucking go maybe I can convince you to scare me to death like <laughs> just I'm gonna hire someone to just like just scare me until I finally fucking die. Just jump out. I mean, and if you really me. want me to do that, I'm gonna rent like a Grim Reaper costume. Like I'm going the full nine. Death by startling. Right. I was gonna say I would knock on your door, but I guess that'd be less startling. <laughs> right. That's it. I would. I would know you were there. That's like you're just gonna have to like find a secret passage into my home, and then as I'm sleeping, like pop up next to my bed. Hide in your closet. You have to live in my attic. <laughs> That's a terrible idea. Let's not do that. Once again, we end the podcast with ideas to not do. These are a list of things you should not do. So, well, and that's why we like horror and thank you for listening to my asshole brain it's not a competition we're all fucked up
We are not scientists, medical professionals, or mental health experts. We are simply two people interested in discussing a topic that affects everyone, either directly or indirectly. We are not expressing expert opinions, and anything we say should not replace medical advice or treatment. If you're struggling with depression or anxiety, especially if you are thinking of harming yourself or someone else, please seek the help of a mental health or medical professional. The number for the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is 1-800-273-8255. You can also chat with them online. Take care. My Asshole Brain was written and hosted by Amanda Green and Stephanie Coons. Artwork by Doug Tolles, produced by Stephen Beasley, and presented by Greasley Enterprises. Copyright 2018. All rights reserved.